Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. This show features conversations between diverse technology professionals discussing women in the industry, cutting-edge innovations, the future of work, deeply technical topics, and the ways that we can all work together to make the world a more inclusive place. We hope you enjoy, and if you do, please subscribe, rate, and comment. Today on Women Who Code Conversations, we're continuing our Women Who Code Turns 10 series with Women Who Code Community Manager, Sapphire Duffy, and Women Who Code Senior Programs Project Manager, Mackenzie Bryant. They discuss how they first found out about our organization, what their current roles and responsibilities are, and share some of their favorite memories from the past. Enjoy! Hi everyone, welcome to Women Who Code Conversations. I'm Mackenzie Bryant, Senior Program Project Manager at Women Who Code. I am Sapphire Duffy, a Community Manager at Women Who Code, and we're celebrating Women's History Month and Women Who Code's 10-year anniversary and reflecting on our journey. So Mackenzie, I remember meeting you for the first time and you were a fellow at Women Who Code leading the mobile track. Uh, where were you in your tech journey at the time? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually found Women Who Code um, after completing a coding boot camp, and I was looking for other mobile developers in the Chicago area when I came across the organization. I really aligned with the mission and vision. Um, and so I saw that they were looking for leadership fellows to lead um, new online technical track communities. And so I applied for the mobile technical track. Mackenzie, what's your overall experience been like leading um, the mobile track as a fellow? Oh, that's also a great question. I had such an amazing experience growing the online community from the ground up. Um, many of the volunteers that started in um, the mobile track alongside me are still very active members. Um, and so it's very rewarding to experience their career growth, many of whom have um, had their first job as a mobile developer and moved on to a senior developer. Um, I've seen many of our members get promotions, improve their leadership skills by mentoring others in the mobile community. Um, many have also gone on to receive scholarships, give keynotes at other tech conferences, and even become Google developer experts. Um, so following up with your question, Sapphire, when you first started in the organization, you were director of the Belfast Network. Could you tell us a little bit more about that time in your career? Yeah, so I remember it was the end of summer and at the time um, I was in my placement year as a product owner and I was about to start my final year of university studying business and information technology at Queen's and I came across Women Who Code when I was in university at the time. I was receiving emails from the current um, directors of the Belfast Network and I started attending um, some workshops um, to learn more and meet other women um, in tech careers. And as you can imagine, there wasn't that many women um, in my school at the time. So I wanted to, to meet more women um, in tech. So I started attending um, Women Who Code events. And yeah, at the time I was volunteering for a few organizations, uh, Google Women Tech Makers, and I was a mentor for a local iOS bootcamp. And I was approached by Claire Burns, who was director of Women Equal Belfast at the time, and she asked me if I was interested in becoming director 
of uh, Romanico Belfast and I just couldn't believe that Claire asked me um, it was an absolute honour to join the Belfast team and I was attending their events at the time and co-leading a few events with Claire um, and yeah I was just absolutely thrilled and of course I said yes to that opportunity. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I do remember when you were a director at Belfast and meeting all of you at Connect San Francisco in 2019, which I'm sure we'll get into later in this conversation. Yeah, I guess um, my experience um, as a director was like one of the best experiences I've had. And I was director for a few years with Beth Glenfield. And when we joined, there was five of us in the team and we really wanted to grow our team of volunteers to help other women um, learn leadership skills and um, help them grow in their careers. So we grew from a team of five to 12 and we led a lot of events together, uh, such as the She Rocks Christmas Awards, um, a few technical workshops and our hackathon, Hack for Her, which was actually an International Women's Day. We hosted that two years ago and that was our last in-person event before the pandemic. So yeah, that was a lovely last memory in person event that we had in Belfast. So yeah. Um, and yeah, like Mackenzie said, we met each other, which we'll go into a wee bit later um, at Connect San Francisco. And I got the opportunity to travel quite a lot with uh, Women Who Code. And I met the um, global team for the first time at Berlin Rerise Summit um in 2018 and I just love the opportunity of meeting other directors um and the women who community at these conferences so I just loved my whole overall experience as a director um but yeah that's kind of how Mackenzie and I got started at women who code and now we both work here in the program team together um I'm a community manager and Mackenzie you're a senior program manager at women who code uh, Mackenzie can you explain a, more about what you do Absolutely. So I do a lot of behind the scenes work for digital and major events. And I also work closely with our engineering team on new product development. Um, so with our digital community and events, um, on average, Women Who Code hosts five events per day. And in 2021, we actually had over 1700 digital events. Um, so between our networks and our tracks, I think that there's always something for everyone. Um, our events are free, joining our community is free. And um, we try to make all of our content accessible as possible. So posting those events um, and uploading them to YouTube has also been um, significant in our growth and um, the development of our community. Um, and then I also work on our major events. So we host two Connect conferences per year um, and just some fun highlights from Connects in 2021. Um, our last Connect in November, we delivered it in our whole new brand. So right now we're going through a brand refresh as you may have seen on our social media and um, on our podcast and other communications. And so that's been really exciting for us. We're really um, looking forward to rolling out um, the rest of the brand refresh to our networks and our community members. Um, and then as far as connect conferences, we also made intentional efforts to increase networking connections and career connections with the introduction of our career navigation track. So shout out to Anna Sher Wilson. She is our career navigation specialist and she has made a huge stride to help our members with career transitions. Um, and we've gone on to even accept career related talks in our conferences um, instead of just only technical talks. And so we're able to feature even more 
um, community members who are working in um, you know, those different career transitions or ha who have experienced um, you know, navigating their career or talking about salary negotiations or taking on a new role at a new company. And so um, the introduction of this track has been very beneficial to our community. Um, and right now we're currently busy planning for our upcoming uh, Connect Conference, Connect Recharge, which is happening on May 26th. Um, we're still accepting applications. So please, if you're listening and you'd like to give a talk at one of our conferences, um, the applications are open until April 25th. And you can go to wimnewcode.com slash connect dash CFP to submit your talk. Um, and then going on to product related work, I'm actually really excited to work alongside of our engineering team. Um, we're making exciting changes to our membership experience as well as the redesign of our website. So I'm really looking forward to rolling out updates on this over the next few months. Um, so Sapphire, now in your role with Women New Code, you work directly with our community. So could you tell us a little bit more about what you do on the team? Yeah, sure. So I work closely with our global community of volunteers, which is our network directors, our leads and evangelists. So um, we have 70 networks in 20 countries and networks are cities and each network has directors um, leading them. So at the minute, we have over around 260 directors and over 250 leads and evangelists. So we have a lot of volunteers. Um, so I have direct contact with our network directors and communicate with them on a regular basis so, and help support them. And I'm also developing and optimizing community management processes and programs while building relationships and celebrating the successes of our volunteers. So I'm, I'm so inspired by our community of volunteers and it's been an honor working really closely with them and watching them grow and, you know, seeing them get promoted in their career, grow in their leadership skills. And it's just lovely to, you know, work alongside them and see them grow. So if anyone is interested in volunteering, you can head over to womanycode.com forward slash collab, collab collaboration, and you'll be able to apply to become a volunteer for our networks and also uh, our tracks as well. Um, but yeah, I, org I also organize digital events for our volunteers. So I host regular check-in sessions with them, um, such as monthly leader hangouts where we share global updates, volunteer opportunities, and training. And we also have our casual leader conversations, um, which started in February, which is just a casual um, opportunity for our directors to get to know each other and you know share tips and advice with each other. And leadership summits. So we are planning four leadership um, training sessions this year. And the first one is at the end of this month and it will be an introduction to the Women Code leadership mindsets. And this framework helps leaders become familiar with the mindsets that help technologists lead at any level. And I also manage operations such as offboarding and offboarding new directors and updating network assets and support and support and support needs. So yeah, so creating a lot of leader tools. Mackenzie and I was like worked together on creating a new leader guide for our directors, which is accessible to all of our volunteers now. So not just directors, but also our leads and evangelists as well. So that's really exciting. Um, 
Yeah, so before I joined um, the team full-time in November, I was a fellow like Mackenzie. Um, I started part-time in May 2020. And this opportunity allowed me to build my leadership skills while giving back to the community. And I loved it so much. So as a fellow, you lead and grow a technical track and develop programs, build content and uh, mentor volunteer leaders. And this experience helped me so much professionally. And I grew my leadership skills and helped me in my full-time position when I was a software engineer. And I was taking on more leadership opportunities um, at my role. So yeah, like Mackenzie said, it's a, such an awarding experience to watch everyone grow in their career um, and grow within the track communities. So Mackenzie, it is great to look back and we're where our work started compared to where it is now. So actually Connect San Francisco was the first time that we both met. Yeah, we actually traveled a lot together for Women in Code conferences in 2019. Um, so we actually met at the Leadership Summit, which happened the day before Connect San Francisco. Um, and so that is what Sapphire was previously talking about where leaders can come and practice their leadership mindsets, which now Sapphire leads for our community. Um, and at that time I was new to Women Who Code. Um, and so I didn't know really anyone in the organization. And so I was looking up active networks before attending this conference. And I came across Women Who Code Belfast because they were a really active network at the time. And Sapphire has always had a really an amazing um, online presence and personal brand. And I just remember coming across your Instagram and like being very inspired by you and excited to meet you. Um, and so it was really great to meet you and the rest of the directors that all came to the leadership summit. Um, and then we had the Connect conference at um, Pinterest in San Francisco the next day. And wow, what a really cool experience, such um, a diverse lineup of speakers. Um, some speakers who, you know, were senior software engineers, but that was their first talk at a conference. And how cool to be in the audience to attend that and witness that. Um, and, and also even more so because it came full circle because now Sapphire, you lead the training on the leadership mindset. So um, I'm really looking forward to our upcoming um, leadership summit and meeting all of our new directors that you've been onboarding over the past few months. Um, and in addition to Connect San Francisco, we also traveled a few other times together. Um, we attended the Front End Summit in Berlin. That was actually my first time to Europe. I was so excited that Sapphire would be there because I didn't um, know anyone else and I was traveling solo. Um, and then my last conference, my last in-person event before the pandemic was Connect New York City, which was held at Microsoft. Um, wow, that was such a cool experience. I moderated a panel on pathways to leadership. Um, and at the time I was still a leadership fellow. And so to see how far that I've come in my personal pathway to leadership is really, really awesome. Oh my goodness, that's, that's definitely a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Um, I remember watching you um, and the track grow throughout the year and that you were a fellow Mackenzie and I was so inspired by you and then at Women Code San Francisco I joined your group um, at the leadership summit which was the day before the for connect and you were leading the brainstorming session and um, we all shared ideas for the mobile track and it was just so much fun um, and 
I just remember looking you up on LinkedIn afterwards, Mackenzie, and just following your whole journey throughout the year. Um, I joined the mobile track um, on Slack and followed all the socials and you grew you, you grew the community so much in that space of time. And I just admired everything that you did in that year. Um, so, and then in 2019 was when we went to Berlin um, the same year. And I, I loved, loved that, the front, front end summit. Um, there was Jennifer Pounder that was uh, leading that summit that year. And yeah, and you were doing your talk, your first iOS talk using um, augmented reality for wayfinding. And yeah, it was like, that was such a good experience there. And I just remember actually too, that Shauna asked me the day before to MC for the conference. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never did anything like this before. And I'm really glad I said yes, because it really pushed me out of my comfort comfort zone um and Mackenzie like you calmed me down and helped me as well like I just remember like I was speaking to the global team at the time and like everyone was like yeah you can do it and I was like okay I can do it <laughs> so yeah that was such a good experience and connect New York City was just amazing like like a oh, wow and that was like definitely um a trip of a lifetime and the panel that you led Mackenzie pathways to leadership um I took so many notes away from that panel. Um, like every all the speakers and the was like I, I got so many good tips from them. And yes, like the overall experience of um all these um conferences with Women Who Code is just something that you know really helped me grow pro, like in my career so much. So I just want to thank everyone, like the whole um global team for organizing um the the conferences and yeah, I just, oh, I just love looking back in the memories. But anyway, so let's move on. Um, so no, Mackenzie, now you actually organize Connect twice a year <laughs> and we have Connect Recharge coming up. So what's the most rewarding part of Connect to you? Yeah, um, you also brought up a lot of great memories for me. Giving my first talk at um, the front end summit in Berlin was incredible and to have your support because I also felt very pushed out of my comfort zone. Um, but I think that's one of the best parts of our conferences is that um, when you're inspired by others that are speaking and taking the stage, you also feel empowered to do the same. And so that kind of pushes you um, out of your comfort zone, but you're also in the safe space. Like I've always felt very supported and I've always been given resources um, to improve my public speaking. Um, and yeah, so going into the most rewarding part of Connect conferences for me is I think one of the obvious ones is the diverse representation of speakers that we always have. And so we're very dedicated to um, being very intentional about the speakers that we do invite to our conferences. Um, and so I've been working on leading um, and improving our call for proposals process by onboarding volunteers in our community to be a part of our CFP review committee. Um, and so this could be network leads, directors, um, and it just gives me a chance to get to know our volunteers um, and for them to make an impact in our conferences as well. So um, they actually, you know, get a say in the programming and the schedule of the conference. Um, and then also providing opportunities for first time speakers. So um, 
in my role and something that I took on is creating and starting the CFP speaker series. So that was started in 2020 after realizing that many people could benefit from having additional public speaking resources. And so um, since 2020, we've had various team members contribute to these resources and you can find them at winnewcode.com slash CFP resources. Um, another really big highlight of these conferences is seeing the community really come together. We've had many community panels. We just had our um, Latin America directors um, give a panel discussion in Spanish in our last conference. Um, and also just wish, witnessing the professional growth of our members. So many are getting a job in the field for the first time or landing a job at their dream company. Um, and seeing people get promotions and salary increases and, and discuss and celebrate all of this at our conferences, which is really amazing. Um, but Sefer, you've also spoken at Connect and also led technical workshops and panels and, and so much more. Um, so what is your experience like and what is your favorite, most rewarding part of Connect? Yeah, so I absolutely loved my experience at Connect as a speaker. So my first experience was leading a workshop um, uh, it was called AI Hero using AWS SageMaker and in York, the conference that Mackenzie and I was talking about. So I remember feeling nervous before the talk, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, I was with my colleague Chloe and my manager at the time. And it was the best feeling ever, you know, when you deliver a talk. Uh, or a workshop and you know you've helped other people and share knowledge with others um, and then I also delivered a talk at our first digital conference um, when I was a fellow and recently led recently had a panel discussion so online conferences such as connect are amazing and it's more accessible for everyone now um, you we get to meet people from all over the world and people can join us when it's them and all of the content is recorded for people to watch later, which is what I love about the digital experience we offer at Women Who Code. So I learned so much about myself and how to communicate with an audience and feeling the feeling of teaching others is out of this world because now I was growing up, I really wanted to be a teacher and now I get to do that. <laughs> so I encourage people listening to just give it a try, apply to connect um, or our technical tracks or, or other organizations and deliver a talk. Um, the content creation side of tech is career changing, honestly, and you learn even more about the topic and grow as a developer or a technologist in ways you never thought was impossible. So like there's so many benefits delivering tech talks um, like you learn when you teach, it helps you clarify your own thoughts, it helps you build your resume, and it can help you land a job as well. So when you deliver and speak at an event, you join a community, it's like a woman who code and learn from others as well. So being here before the pandemic and now where we've had to pivot everything before virtual for our global community, what was it like initially? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So we obviously had to transition from 100% in-person events to 100% digital events. And so um, it was really important for us at the time to make that content as accessible to our community as possible by uploading it to YouTube. 
Um, and when I first started uploading our events to YouTube, we only had a little over 1,000 subscribers. And our channel has grown significantly in just two years to 14.7 thousand subscribers. And so yeah, at the time we also had to move our conferences to virtual as well. And so that's when we started utilizing the platform Hopin, which we've had all of our virtual events on since, um, our virtual events as in our conferences. Um, and we also had to find better ways to connect with our directors in their community. And so um, by being more active in Slack and by surveying our community and figuring out what their needs are for transitioning to online events and what kind of support and tools and resources that they needed. Um, and so that's also what Sapphire and I have been working on with the leader guide is providing templates for our community leaders to have really effective and exciting online events. Um, Sapphire, could you talk a little bit about how this transition impacted being a fellow? I know at the time you were leading our data science track and um, although the track community is entirely online, um, we obviously didn't have any more in-person opportunities to meet any of our volunteers. So if you could just talk a little bit about how that transition affected your community. Yeah, I started the position remotely and we were supposed to fly over to Atlanta to be onboarded by the global team. Um, but we were, instead it was online. And to me being remotely at the time was challenging because we just, everyone's getting used to this. And, um, but you can see a lot when I joined as a fellow on the blockchain and data science tracks, you can see that the community um, needed us more than ever now. And, you know, more people was come, coming online to um, communicate with our community and um, attend our online events. And I think at that time for me, becoming a fellow made that moment so special because like we were there at a time when people like really needed us um and you know we became a connecting force for everyone like all of our networks you know came online and we all were in this together basically and I think that was a very special moment like when I was to become a fellow yeah I completely agree um we obviously needed the support of our directors and our community as well to make such a significant transition with our events um, and so we really could not have done this without the support of all of our leaders and our directors, you know, taking on the new process of requesting and hosting their events. And, and we've also had, you know, challenges such as attendance and, um, you know, the, the types of events that we're hosting because we, everything went online. And so um, you have to be aware about burnout and the absolutely <laughs> so like I was saying before since our transition to 100% online events we are still very active with hosting events on average five events per day um, and we're consistently uploading these events to YouTube um, and so we're always creating new content and making that accessible for our community. There are so many opportunities to get involved. You can be involved as a speaker, as a volunteer, planning events. Um, you can also be involved in our major events, such as the Connect conferences that we've discussed throughout this call. Um, in May, we'll be opening up the new leadership fellow applications. So if you want to lead an online global community, that will be your opportunity. Um, and so um, as the world is changing, we are consistently trying to 
survey our community, figure out their needs, figure out ways that they need support, figure out what types of events they, they want to attend and um, what kind of information that they need to learn that will help make them successful in their career and will really, you know, help them progress forward. Yeah, and we're looking forward to more women joining and taking advantage of the amazing programs and support that we offer, continuing to grow worldwide and connecting with each other. Exactly. Our members are making history inside and, of course, outside of Women Who Code. The best way to support us is to join, volunteer, and donate on womenwhocode.com. Joining our community and attending our events is free. It's been really lovely reflecting on our journey together at Women Who Code. Thank you so much, Sapphire, for uh, joining this conversation with me. And for the rest of you watching, I'm really looking forward to seeing you at Connect Recharge in May. In this week's Women Who Code Career Nav segment, we have Marie Roker Jones, the co-CEO of Esteem, discussing how to think like a founder and create inclusion within your company's DNA. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we have Marie with us. How are you doing, Marie? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. So, Marie, you have a BA in English Literature. You began in social media with the Goodman's Project, and now you're a diversity and inclusion consultant at your own company, com Hashtag Compassion Combos, and you're the co-founder and CEO of Esteem Worlds. Can you walk us through like how, um, how you got to where you are today? Sure. Like um, most of my career has been, I would say, a little bit eclectic. I've taken different routes, and mostly it's because um, as a military spouse, you know, my husband's done multiple uh, deployments. So that's really where I've dabbled in different um, industries. And I've learned a lot because I've always had this interest in social impact and making a difference. So every um, job I've had in my career has been focused on how do I um, contribute to making a difference and how do we continue to um, bring others into the fold so that they can be part of like a social impact movement. Wonderful. Um, you shared on um, Twitter how inclusion and belonging needs to be ingrained in a company culture and value and how diversity is great, but our company is ready to focus on inclusion for 2021. Can you elaborate on what you meant by that? Um, what I meant is that a lot of companies, they start with a thought about creating like a DNI initiative, but the focus is usually on diversity and who they're going to hire, um, what type of diversity hire. But the emphasis needs to be on inclusion and belonging. So once you hire someone, um, what are you gonna do to make sure that they feel like they're included? What are you gonna do to make sure that your team creates a, a trusted and psychologically safe environment for that person? And um, what are they doing to look at the intersection of the different um, types of diversity? Cause you just, it's not just a black woman or black man or a, a Latina, it's people with disabilities and um, those who are LGBTQ. So really being mindful of what inclusion and belonging looks like for them. Do you have any examples when this has been done well? Um, you know, that's a good question. And I and the fact that I have to think about it is really, um, in a way, kind of painful because <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of a company that has done it well. and. Granted, I don't know all companies, but in my personal experience, 
Um, no, I haven't met a company that I can say, wow, they, they nailed it on inclusion, but I'm sure there's some out there. Um, and I would love to hear how they're doing it. And it's not about just measuring metrics, but really looking at how are they creating that space for people. Do you think part of the reason for that is that a lot of times DEI work is thought of as an afterthought versus like the core of how companies are built? Yes, I think that's a major part of it. It's like, um, and now people, you know, lately there's been this talk about DNI being great for business um, and innovation, but it has to be part of a company's DNA. It's got to be ingrained and really part of their mission and values, and not just and you know, I, as you mentioned, an afterthought. Like, hey, this would be great if we had this, but really, this is who we are, and this is why. Um, we value different um, thoughts, our experiences, cultures, and all that. So, wonderful. Um, changing gears a little bit more to you, um, what has your experience been like as a woman in tech? Um, well, I started being a founder in tech has been very interesting because, in one way, I'm in a place where I'm listening and hearing from other women and their experiences. So it helps me as a founder to be more intentional and mindful when speaking to um, hiring managers and other tech companies about why it's important to create this, these um, inclusive uh, work cultures because I get to really speak to these women and really um, understand how they feel. And even though I've been in different industries, for me, it's always the same story it's about feeling like an outsider or feeling as if you're not valued or respected. So for me, it's, it's, it's thinking not so much just about myself as a founder and as a, a Black woman, but also about the women that are trying to get into tech and are trying to find these jobs. How, how do I help them? Definitely. And being a founder and kind of making your way up, how has um, your community and advocates and supporters kind of played a role in your career to this point? Um, I think I've been fortunate in that I've had like great support uh, networks and systems. Uh, my co-founder now is a white male and an ally, and I feel comfortable enough to be myself. I feel comfortable enough to share my truth. And I think I've um, felt that for many years, starting with the Good Men Project. I think that was like, um, that built the foundation for me to really feel that I can um, own my space and I can be uh, true to myself without having to think about what others, how others are perceiving me or the assumptions they're making about, about around me, about me. <laughs> so um, I'm thankful for that. I am grateful. And, you know, I, I've had different experiences um, with maybe clients or customers, but I have to say within the work um, that I've been doing, it's been good. That's amazing to hear. And I think our audience will really um, resonate with that. That is a possible thing to find within this community when sometimes it can feel like you're really isolated and alone. You don't have a lot of people in your corner. Yeah. And I have amazing other Black women founders that I can talk to and connect with and just say, hey, I'm having a rough day and, and just be myself. So that's always helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned on your Twitter, um, you discussed how Black women are the most disrespected women in America and carry the burden of everyone else's struggles. 
and when is all is said and done, um, like what do you have left for yourselves? So how do you keep yourself from running on empty and take care of yourself? Um, setting and enforcing boundaries. And this is not something I always knew how to do. Like I had to really learn. And I think there's something great about getting older and, and being more mature and being able to speak your mind. I think um, it's saying, you know, I need time right now. So it's great. Like I can say to my co-founder, I'm going to take a couple of hours because I've had a long day and a rough day and I need to just disconnect and not feel bad about it. And also with my family, just being honest with them, like I need this moment. And um, I found that if I don't do that, that I'm not my best, I'm not presenting my best. I can't help anyone. You can't help anyone if you're running on empty. So just being mindful of like, hey, I need, whether it's just an emotional break, a mental health break, whatever it is, I just need to give myself back some of what I've given out otherwise you know, there's nothing for me to give and I won't be effective and I won't be able to be the leader I want to be. Yeah, that's really, it's really powerful. And oftentimes um, we get nervous about setting boundaries because of how people respond, that there's shame around that. But I think it's important if you're um, doing something to take care of yourself and your needs that you're not responsible for how someone else reacts to that boundary because you're taking care of yourself. And I think that can be hard to deal with more met with shame or judgment or anger. Oh, you're right, it, it's hard. And, and I think as women, we're harder on ourselves. And I think sometimes people are hard on us, especially when it comes to dealing with or taking care of ourselves or an emotional um, life or health. Just being mindful of that. And it's okay to just take a moment and say, you know, you know what, I'm going to just take a break and then I'll come back and respond to that. So yeah, giving us ourselves the permission. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And not apologizing for it and just taking your space. Cause I'm like you said, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I think sometimes we overextend ourselves and want to be like, oh, I'm sorry. But like, then we're again, getting on that empty. Exactly. And I love that you mentioned the apologizing. I had to learn to really, when I'm, you know, sending an email, not to, you know, I'm like, if I didn't make a mistake or I didn't do something, don't apologize, just address what was done. And so it's hard, but I kind of stop and tell myself, before you write this, what are you sorry about? And that's, I think we do that so often. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, even if it's a compliment, it's like, oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, this is nothing. It's like, oh, just own it. <laughs> I've switched from, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I focus on what I'm grateful for. So if I'm slow to respond and saying like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, thank you for your patience. And yeah. switching that out, that way you kind of keep your power, but you're still acknowledging and you're expressing gratitude. Um, is an easy way to shift. I love that. I love that. It's really great. So I appreciate you sharing that tip. I, that's cool. Like expressing gratitude. So I'm going to think about that when I'm writing my email. <laughs> awesome. Um, is there any uh, women in tech in history or in current day that have inspired your career? Hmm. You know, I, it's funny when I was thinking about uh, in tech inspires me. I would have to say um, Arlen Hamilton, and that's because she's a VC, and I, and I think her story is just so unique, 
And um, just to see how she's just moved up and really has created a space for overlooked and underrepresented um, founders is just, it gives hope, you know, to another Black woman and say, okay, you know what, this can be done. Um, it takes work, it takes commitment, but it could be done. And um, just, and I love reading her stuff on Twitter anyway. So I think uh, she has a really um, great sense of humor. So I would have to say, seeing her um, career trajectory and writing the book and everything that she's done is inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great one to choose. Um, do you have any advice for other women in tech? Um, I would have to say imposter syndrome. I hear it so much. Um, and I, I want to say that one of the things I learned is that um, I know Google has this great I am remarkable um, training. And the reminder is that if it's based on facts, that it's not like bragging. And so I think if we could all, if women in tech could just keep that in mind, like write down your accomplishments and know that these are things I've done. Like if you were to just write your accomplishments and look them over, you'd be astonished at all that you've done, but it's not bragging and it's not imposter, you won't have that imposter syndrome if you could back it up with, you know what, I did this, you know, like I was able to really help this team, you know, uh, finish this code. I was able to develop this app. I, I did all this. So I, it's so funny how even for myself, imposter syndrome creeps up. But if you can go back to look at something um, that reminds you, oh, you know what? I got this. I can handle this. Um, I've done this before. I've been in this space and I, I got it. So just, just keep reminding yourself and have something that you can look at that you can go back to and say, nope, if I, if I did this, this, all these things in the past, what I have to do now is nothing and I, and I can do it. So um, it's hard. Imposter syndrome is something we, uh, we have to address and really do our best to overcome. And it's not gonna be easy, but having those, you know, having the facts, having the, the, the backup to prove yourself really helps. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. Marie, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate being able to um, be here. So I appreciate it. Thank you. In Women Who Code Talks Tech this week, Sabrina McPherson, Senior Product Manager at Morningstar, will tell us how leaders can learn from psychology and neuroscience in order to build successful teams. Enjoy. My name is Sabrina McPherson, and I am a senior product manager at Morningstar. For those of you who don't know us, we are a fintech company. We gather and collect a bunch of data insight about investments and portfolios and entities that issue those investments, and then we deliver them to our clients in the form of really powerful product solutions. So I work in product, I work in data, and I work in technology. Also at Morningstar, I've been responsible for leader-led learning, part of a team that helps managers um, figure out how to deliver on our commitments and our values in their leadership practice. I am also the diversity, equity, inclusion business lead in Canada, and I am the head of Out at Morningstar for North America. That's our LGBTQ employee resource group at Morningstar. And as you are about to find out, I am a lover of all things about the human mind and brain. So I'm going to start here with a lightning of the lightning. I'm going to tell you what we're talking about today. 
Bottom line, successful teams are creative, they're innovative, and they're productive. They're taking risks and they're producing high quality stuff. And you can't get to any of that without deeply engaging with the minds and emotions of your team. So the three animals that you saw in the title of this talk, the lizards and the elephants and the bees, they are my favorite analogies for the three things that you need to know as a leader when you're thinking about the human minds and brains that make up your team. So you need to think about these animals and I'm gonna go through a few of the practices of how we engage with them, how we create an environment of psychological safety, which creates space for vulnerability, which allows you to build a real sense of community and connectedness and gets to the good stuff, which is the creativity and innovation and productivity that you're after. So we'll start with the lizard. The limbic system in the human brain is what I lovingly call the lizard brain. And I call it this because it's a very basic evolutionary part of our brain. We share it with other animals like lizards and birds and other mammals. And it is the part of our brain responsible for keeping us alive, right? It keeps us eating. If we've reproduced, it keeps us caring for our offspring. And most importantly, it is responsible for our fight, flight, freeze reaction. So when something big and scary jumps at you, dogs coming your way, you have to make a decision on what you're gonna do. And the lizard brain limbic system kicks up your adrenaline and logic brain has left the room. You're not able to make higher functioning order decisions here because your brain, your limbic system is screaming at you, get safe, get safe, get safe. What's really interesting in neuroscience research over the last while is it's shown that human brains respond to social and emotional threats the same way that they do to physical ones. So if you think about your workplace, you're not likely to have a dog that's scary jumping at you over the boardroom table, but it's perceiving the social and emotional threat of feeling like, oh, I'm about to walk into a meeting room and my boss is about to name and blame and shame me in front of 20 people whose opinions I really care about. That's a social threat. And your adrenaline's gonna kick up and your higher functioning brain can't really cope until it feels safe. The last thing I'll say about the lizard is its reaction to threat is much stronger than its reaction to reward. We all have that feeling of, ooh, that was tasty food. I want to eat more of that. And that's part of your limbic brain coming in and saying like, ooh, that'll keep you fat and happy. Let's eat more of that. But that response is much milder than the response to, ow, hot stove. I don't want to touch that again. All right. The, the response that we have is to move away from threat much faster than we move towards reward. So how do we speak to this lizard? How do we engage the team and make them understand that they are safe and there is social and emotional safety? First, you have to understand the five domains of social threat. Okay, in humans, we care about status. We care about knowing where we sit in our group and where our group sits in the larger group. We care about certainty. We wanna know where we are, where we're going, what's the path to get there. Autonomy, everyone wants to feel like they're in control of their own work and like they're trusted to do what they've been asked to do. Relatedness is about how we connect to our group. And that's gonna come up later as another important animal all on its own. And of course, fairness, right? Even small animals and small children can tell you what's fair and what's not. And once you have identified those areas of social risk that exist in your organization and even just in your group, you as a leader need to find ways to reduce those feelings of social risk and then actively increase the feelings of reward. And at the beginning, you want to pay more attention to the risk, as I mentioned before. You're going to need to create an environment that's psychologically safe and encourages vulnerability. Vulnerability 
means that you can take risks and that you can be honest about when you made a mistake. And you don't get to that great space of risk-taking and innovation without being able to try something new and different and fail. And then tell your leader or your boss that you failed. And the number one way that you can encourage vulnerability as a leader is to model vulnerability, which means not oversharing, but it means being candid. It means being honest about what you're doing and why you're doing it. It means admitting when you've made a mistake or admitting when you don't know something, really leading from this empathetic place rather than from a place of fear. And finally, you need to regularly practice these small everyday behaviors that foster trust. Trust happens in really small ways. You don't just get to walk in and say, hey, I'm your leader, I'm your boss, you have to trust me. It is in establishing and maintaining boundaries. It is in being reliable and accountable and regularly, consistently producing those behaviors that foster trust between you and your team and make them feel safe. So now that this lizard brain is feeling safe, now higher order thinking can come along. And that's where the next animal comes in. So the next one we're talking about is the elephant. Now this analogy comes to me from Jonathan Haidt. He's a moral psychologist. Um, his work focuses on why people, individuals, and cultures and societies make the moral choices that they do. And his research and that of his colleagues has shown that we often think of our brains as making rational choices and then our emotions kind of come along beside it. But it's, it's really backwards to what really happens according to his research. People are making decisions based on intuitions and emotional gut feelings. And reason comes in afterwards to justify it. So he describes the way this works in the brain is the elephant and the rider. The elephant is our emotional intuitive reasoning. So this is no longer limbic brain survival thinking, but this is the product of our, our life, where we grew up, what schools we went to, what culture we were raised in, what companies we've worked for, teams we've played for, all of those things come together to make us who we are and give us the intuitive emotional reasoning, if you want to call it that, and those reactions to the things around us. And then the elephant is this big thing that moves fast. So when something happens, you'll often find you have a very quick reaction to it. And then your, your rider on top is the reasoning brain that comes in afterwards and justifies it. It says, oh, well, this is the reason why I did this thing. And hate is quick to point out that elephants are big and they move fast. So emotional and intuitive reactions happen quickly. You have to be aware of that. And there isn't a lot of room for riders or reasoning to come and pull them back once those intuitive emotional reactions have happened. So the elephant is going to show up when you're convincing people, when you have to make a pitch, when you have to sell something. It's going to show up in conflict resolution when you're talking through difficult conversations with your team. And how you want to talk to the elephant is number one, create an emotional connection to the work you're doing. No matter what work it is that you're doing, there is a person on the other end that's going to benefit from it. And no matter how far you are away from that end delivery, you need to tell that story. You need to get your team connected to the emotional and story of how you're producing real value for real people. Because when you come up against difficult times and difficult situations, that emotional connection is going to lead to good intuitions and good reactions to challenging times. Secondly, I, I highlight this because it comes up in conflict resolution and difficult conversations that intuitive reactions override logical ones almost every time. And 
This means that if you're having a conversation with someone where they really seem to be digging in, digging in their heels from your perspective, or maybe you're digging in your heels and no amount of the other person's perspective is swaying you, more reason isn't the answer. You need to get to a place where you can ask questions, model curiosity, and try to understand those intuitive and emotional reactions and get yourselves on the same page. And when you're asking those questions, you want to avoid why questions, because why questions are a great way to back people into a corner and make them feel defensive. You ideally want to work in favor of how and what and when. Finally, I'll say, remember that this rider is coming in post hoc to justify emotional and intuitive reasoning. So you're telling yourself a story. And sometimes that story isn't exactly accurate. So always ask yourself, what is the story you're telling yourself? And how is it different or could it be different from the story that your team is telling themselves? So the last animal I'm gonna talk about are the bees. Bees in nature are really cool. They're super organisms and super organisms, you can also find them in ant colonies, termites or other examples. And they are creatures where individuals will make decisions that don't necessarily make sense from an evolutionary perspective for that individual, but they make sense for the whole organism, for the hive. These creatures are working for collective goals and collective benefit. And Jonathan Haidt, again, another one of his books, he talks about how human beings are 90% chimp and 10% bee. So what he means by this is we're mostly primates, right? We, we live in groups, yes, but we care mostly about individual survival and the survival of our particular offspring. But then we have this thing that he likes to call a hive switch. And it's an a thing in our brains, you know, psychology has shown that in the right circumstances, human beings can have this hive switch triggered and we start behaving more like we care about the collective goals and the collective benefits instead of just our individual goals and our individual benefit. And the places where this shows up in human society, you could probably guess there's things like political affiliation or religious affiliation, but Psychology research has also shown really interestingly that companies and corporations can be super organisms in human culture and that in the right circumstances with the right psychological safety, you can trigger that hive switch and get this real connectivity and inclusion. And I'll call out here using that word that if you're doing any work on diversity, equity, and inclusion, this is the inclusion part of that program. Your HR and talent team could be doing a great job bringing in a really diverse team of people and retaining them and promoting them. But if you're not actively creating an environment where everyone feels genuinely included and part of the same hive, that is going to fall apart very quickly. So how do we speak to these bees? The number one thing that you can do is give your team a clear set of shared values. This has to go way beyond a mission statement. You have to clearly outline these are our values. This is, this is what we believe and what we do. If you think about it, this shows up for humans in politics and religious affiliation because Claiming that you belong to one of those groups says that you belong to a clear set of shared values. So that's really important for establishing this hive mind. As a leader, you need to behave with absolute transparency and fairness. This does not mean that everyone's going to love your decisions all the time, that's impossible. But if you can be very transparent about your process and you can be fair in your outcome, your hive will continue to coalesce around that behavior. 
human beings are wired for language. We're wired for communication. So it's really important that we use group language and especially we over I is a really good trigger to bring people together. And finally, you do fun things together as a group. Now, this might sound like I'm inviting you to expense your beer night, and I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But what I mean here is when we bring people together to celebrate events in our lives, have a, a baby shower for someone in the group, or celebrate a milestone birthday, or you know, go out after an on-site, you're doing fun things together, and you're bonding in a social way that is critical for bringing people together and creating this hive mindset that triggers that switch and gets people caring about those collective goals and collective benefits more than they would otherwise. So that's an awful lot in a short period of time. So I'll, I'll sum up here. People are happier when they feel safe, emotionally connected, and like they're part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, this is an active practice of leadership, and sometimes I will be candid, it's counterintuitive, especially for women who, as they go up in their career, are often coached to be less emotional and less vulnerable and less candid. So you're going to feel like it's a little bit of a push and pull in yourself practicing this leadership style. But I promise you the research is 100% behind this, that if you can create an environment of psychological safety where people feel genuinely safe and there is a real drive towards genuine inclusion, then you will create a team that's primed for success, where success is creativity, innovation, risk-taking, and productivity. And thank you all so much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate and comment.